0: 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother named him Jabez, saying, Because I bore him with pain. Now Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm, though it may not, that it may not pain me. And God granted granted him what he requested. So eight chapters, Wednesday night, two verses this morning. Let's pray together. Holy God, we are in awe before You. And we are stilled before Your greatness, Your awesomeness, Your authority, Your majesty. Truly, God, there is none like You. Name above all names. You are unlike any other. Ancient of days, the Eternal One. Father, we worship You. And we praise You. And Father, we feel very small when we come before You. And yet, You invite us, Lord. And that is perhaps one of the most wonderful blessings of all. And we are invited to bring our request to You that we can... Come before You and pray. And know, not only are we speaking words here, but Lord, that You hear us. It's a marvelous thing indeed. Father, we often get going in our prayers so quickly, asking for things, we stop to consider who You are. How great and marvelous You are. So we do that this morning. And even as we approach the Bible before us, we realize this is Your Word. Every story, every prayer, every word written, inspired by You. And so, Father, this morning, we pray that You'd seed Your Word into our hearts, into the soil of whatever our lives have been. I pray that You'll take Your Word, Lord, apply it to our experience. From youngest to the oldest of us. That we might, by Your Word, draw closer to You understand You a little bit more, and especially, Father, cling more tightly to Your hand. We praise You and we love You and we declare, Lord, righteous and true are all Your judgments. Thank You for loving us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you want to be extravagantly blessed by God? Are you ready to reach for the extraordinary to ask God for the abundant blessings He longs to give you. Discover how the remarkable prayer of a little-known Bible hero can release God's favor, protection, and power. You'll see how one daily prayer can help you leave the past behind and break through to the life you were meant to live. Now, if that sounds like an advertisement, it's because it is. I took it right out of Amazon.com, the description of a book that came out a few years back in the year 2000. There's a pastor well-known in Promise Keeper circles by the name of Bruce Wilkinson who wrote a little 93-page devotional booklet that had a massive impact on the church, not to mention the Christian publishing scene. In fact, in two years, this little book sold over 9 million copies. The Prayer of Jabez. Perhaps you have it sitting on a shelf at home. Maybe you've read it. Maybe you've tried it. Now, as I shared on Wednesday night, I doubt if, if Jabez, his name is actually pronounced Jabez. So that's how we're going to pronounce his name, Yavetz. And Yavetz, I studied that to be sure I was right. <laughs> this obscure character, Yavetz, <laughs> this obscure character almost hidden in the line of her, in the line of Judah, here in the book of 1 Chronicles, a book not often visited by many people, I doubt if when he prayed this prayer, one verse worth of a prayer, that he had any idea that one name he, he would be... Received the the title of Bible hero. Or even that his prayer would be read and quoted and meditated upon and repeated and packaged for Bible studies and sold to millions of Christians around the world. Now, I need to be upfront with you about a couple of things before we get into this prayer and, and to what it was that Yavetz prayed. But the first thing is very obviously, I hope, I believe in the power of prayer. We believe so much in prayer at the bridge that we put a high priority on it. I hope you do in your personal life. Pastor Les, if you didn't know this, his title is Pastor of Prayer. Because prayer is a priority here. I believe when we call out to God, He hears us. I believe that prayer is effective and powerful and life-altering and situation-changing. But you need to understand, I believe that the power of prayer is not in the prayer, but it's in the One to whom we pray. The power is in the Holy Spirit of the living Christ. The power has not, it has never been in religious lingo, in reciting the right word at the right time by the right choice. That is not where the power of prayer comes from. And that's important to understand. Because a lot of Christians have trouble praying because they hear other people practice prayer praying out loud and they think, wow, I can't do it like that. I don't have the eloquence. I don't have the words at my disposal to pray like that guy. Well, look at the prayer of your bets this is not eloquent. It's just some words spoken by a guy who believed that God would hear him. Jeremiah 29, verse 12, speaking to Israel, the Lord says, Then you will call upon Me and come and pray to Me, and I will listen to you. You'll seek Me and find Me when you search for Me with all your heart. You may recognize these other verses. John fourteen thirteen. Jesus said, Whatever you ask in My name, that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son if you ask me anything in my name I will do it I prayed for a dirt bike in Jesus' name and I did not get it when I was a kid the key to effective prayer though is praying in His name it's not rattling off in Jesus' name, amen and thinking somehow you've just power charged your prayer to get through to God no, praying in the name of Jesus means centering your heart on Jesus as you pray it's praying in the character and the will of Jesus Christ. That's a key. You might jot that down if you're a note-taker. A key to effective prayer. Centering prayer around the character of Christ. What does He want? What is His will? What's His passion? What's His desire? Praying the will of Jesus. He knows what His will is. Do you know? I thought it was fascinating. We were just talking over here on Wednesday night. Uh, our saxophonist Stephen was praying. And he had some words, and he really wanted to pray, and he really just burning on his heart to share. But he couldn't bring himself to share the words; he just wasn't sure. And as he was about to pray this, and I didn't ask his permission, I'm just telling you this. I think did he leave already? Oh, you're still here.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> can't
0: talk about him behind his back. But he's praying. I hope it's okay that I share this. But he said he's about to open his mouth and pray. When Spencer, who was in the same prayer group with him, began praying the exact prayer that was on his heart to share. How is that possible? Well, because prayer begins with God. (laughs) Comes to us, and we pray it back to Him. His Spirit enlightens us as to what we need to pray. We don't know how to pray, Paul said, as we ought. We have no idea how to do it right. But His Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Even when you don't know what to say to acknowledge the character, the person of Jesus Christ in your prayer is effective. He said in John 16.23, Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in My name, He'll give it to you. Until now, you've asked for nothing in My name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be made full. He says in Matthew 7.11, another place, I love this, if you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? When I was a kid, I liked that verse. Now, as a parent myself, I don't like that verse because I don't want my kids to know that I'm evil even though I give them good
1: things.
0: (laughs) But if we can do that, how much more God? Who is a God of mercy and grace and compassion. And even in this prayer of Giabetz, the key is not praying the right formula. It's praying with faith to the Righteous Father. we get that in your heads? Now, the right formula is the Righteous Father whom we pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus said when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. They suppose they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Millions of people who read Wilkins' book, The Prayer of Jabez, were encouraged to pray his prayer every morning over and over and over. But I'll tell you something, you can do that over and over and over and have no effect, no change in your life, no impact, and wonder, well, Why? I thought I was praying the right prayer. And that's the issue. It's not the right words. It's the righteous Father to whom we pray. Now, making that clear, there's one other thing I probably need to confess to you, and that's that I have a problem with Christian commercialism. I have a tendency to not want to have a whole lot to do with it. The packaging and selling of Christianity and the packaging and selling of faith it, it tends to bug me a little bit. Maybe it does you. So years ago, when the booklet, The Prayer of Jabez, hit the shelves and the buzz hit the church, I said, that's it. I'm not, I'm not teaching that passage. I stayed out of First Chronicles for the genealogical reasons, but also for that reason. I said, I'm not going to go there. It's not a place that I need to be. Wilkinson can talk about it. Christianbook.com, they can sell it. You know, great for them. Other people can teach it, not me. I'm so thankful our Heavenly Father's patient. Last week, he drew my attention to these verses and he said, Rick, this is my word, not Wilkinson's. And I think it's time you teach it. It's time we take a look at it. And I realized something I know I've taught here many times before, but apparently needed a little extra time to pick up myself. And that's simply this. uh, Avoiding or ignoring anything in Scripture because of a personal bias, whatever that bias may be, is just plain stupid. You have a bias against something and it shows up in the Word and you say, I'm not going to deal with that because that's just not the way I was raised. That's not my thinking. That's not my theology. My denomination avoids the study of the book of Revelation, so I avoid it. Stupid! (laughs) My tradition rejects the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so I reject it. Even though the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit was coined by Jesus... My parents never taught me Jesus was God, so I won't believe it. How about what God says? How about what's in the Word? Is there anything in Scripture we should ignore or avoid? And the answer is, if you're a person of faith, absolutely not. And there's some tough stuff in this book. You know it. You read through. There are some very confusing things. There are moments where you say, What? Drive out all the Canaanites? Murder them all? What is that? That sounds like Islam. How do we... Really? I'm not going to explain that one to you. There are other studies we've done where you can learn about that. But if we desire truly the fullness of God, if we want to live lives that are centered around the person of Jesus Christ, we need to look at the whole word and not shy away from anything that the Lord has written down and handed to us to know. So this morning we're going to look at the prayer of Jabez. And I thank God that he was patient and waited for me to come around, because it's a great prayer. We're going to look at the person, we're going to look at the prayer, and then finally we're going to look at the problem, which I think is probably a better title for that booklet, The Problem of Jabez. First off, the person. There's an awful lot we can learn about him just from this verse. Interesting. Verse 10 now, Yabetz called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm, that it may not pain me. Now, when I first read through this prayer, I felt a little bit of conflict, because it seemed awfully self-centered. Oh, Lord, bless me! <laughs> enlarge my border! Come on, Yabetz. How about praying for somebody else? Gimme, give gimme, give gimme! Give How about... How about bless someone else other than me? And he asked that he won't get hurt. Wimp! I mean, come on! What kind of prayer is this? The thing is, before we even get to the prayer, the Lord gives a tangible hint into the man's character, and I think we needed to know this before we read the prayer. Look back at verse nine. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. That tells us a lot about the man. The Lord calls him honorable, or at least more honored than his brothers. And that's impressive. This is the prayer of an honorable man. This is a prayer included in Scripture because God says the man's honorable, listen to how he prays, and I granted that. This is significant to you. The word for honorable here is an interesting Hebrew word. It's kabad. Kabad. Literally, it means heavy or weighty. I'll give you an example in describing the unfortunate death of the priest Eli. His sons Hophni and Phinehas had taken the ark and gone into battle, which was forbidden by the Lord. Except for the one instance of Jericho where God said march with the ark, every other time they were not to take the ark into battle. But they did. Hophni and Phinehas and the guys took the ark of the covenant. Hophni and Phinehas were killed and the ark was taken. And a runner brought word, news of that, back to Eli, the priest, And it tells us in 1 Samuel 4.18 that Eli fell off the seat backward beside the gate and his neck was broken and he died for he was old and heavy. He had a weighty kabod. (laughs) He was a heavy dude. And that's what the word kabod means. It means a heaviness. It means a weight, a fullness. And it's important to know that because as it relates to Jabetz, it doesn't mean he was more weighty than his brothers. It means his character was full. He was a man of integrity. And as a matter of fact, kabod in the spiritual sense is applied to the Lord God. Often in Scriptures, it is translated glory. The kabod. The glory of God. The weightiness. The heaviness of God's glory. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, tells us then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God's glory is kabod. It's weighty, it's substantive, because it comes from the awesome weight of God's divine nature. It's who He is. I call it the density of the divine. Speaking in in kind of a material sense. You know that some things are more dense than others. Notice my son David is a dense little guy. You know, he's tiny, but you go to pick him up. Oh, I've already hurt my wrist. I also noticed that I didn't ever hurt my wrist when holding my children when I was in my 20s, so maybe it's more me than, than David. But it's that density of God that He is filled with. He is glory incarnate. And what's amazing, I love that you, you remember the scene. Moses said, God, let me see you. And God said, yeah, right. I'm you know, paraphrasing. And He said, what I will do is I will cover you with my hand as I pass by. And you can check out my glory as it trails off behind me. Moses did. And it was so powerful. When Moses went down before the people of Israel, he was glowing. Kabod. <laughs> The heaviness of the glory of God. And by the way, Jesus shares that same divine nature. Colossians 2.17 says, The substance belongs to Christ. Hebrews 1.3 tells us, He is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation of His nature. Which is why when Jesus says, If you ask for anything in My name, My Father will do it for you. Why? Because if you're asking in My name, you're appealing to My character. My nature. My glory. My glory. And what is important to me to ask in Jesus' name is to pray by His nature. To pray by His will. So, God's glory is combined, but in the case of a man such as Jabez, honor depends on the weight of his integrity. That's what honorable means. He is a man of integrity. He prays what's already in his heart. He's true to who he is. You know, anybody can pray the prayer of Jabez. Anybody can recite the words. Again, as Wilkinson encourages in his book, read it over and over every morning for a significant amount of time. You're going to see change happening in your life. No, you won't. Not if your heart's not there. Not if you're just reading words, just reciting. The Lord says, remember, Jeremiah 29.13, you will seek Me and find Me when you search for Me with all your heart. When there's integrity in the search. So this is cool. We know something about Bets. We know that he was a man of honor, a man of integrity. There's one more interesting little side note that we can draw out about this man. It appears that he loved the Word of God. I say, well, how do you get that out of that little prayer, Rick? Well, there's a biblical hint that comes back in chapter 2 about this. In the line of Judah, among the sons of Hur, which included Yabetz, There were three specific families that were families of scribes. You remember who the scribes were. They're the ones who gave a scripture, basically, after the Lord authored it. They're the ones who copied it over and over and over and passed it down through the centuries. And their accuracy is astounding. Some of you may remember this when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered and the book of the Scroll of Isaiah was unrolled and looked at, that word for word it was almost identical with the exception of a few typographical errors. Because the scribes were gifted and blessed by God to keep the Word and to bring it across the centuries. So there were three clans of scribes there the, among the sons of her, and they lived all together in a village that was celebrating as the village of the scribes. The village of the Bible guys, the Bible copiers. Look at its name, verse 55 of First Chronicles chapter 2. The families of the scribes who lived at Yabetz. They were the Tirithites and the Shimeathites and the Sukkothites. These three clans lived in a city. The village was called Jabez. It was his village. And for the village to bear his name, this indicates either he was a man of great honor in the village, or he founded the village, or he was a governor of sorts or lord of the village. But this is the connection that we see with Jabez. Was he a scribe himself? I, I can't say absolutely, but I can say that I assume Yabetz loved God's word, that he was connected to the scribes of Israel. No wonder his prayer was effective. His prayer was biblical. Let me show you how. That's the person of Yabetz, the prayer of Yabetz. Let's break it down. Three areas. Number one, the central appeal of the prayer is expanding territory. He says, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my border. is that selfish? Not at all. In fact, for a Jewish man to pray this was absolutely central to God's will for the people of Israel. To pray for the enlarging of his borders. Listen to this, going back to Genesis chapter 15 and verse 18. God said it to Abraham. He first said it in chapter 12. He repeats it several times. In chapter 15, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. We've talked about this, gang. That is 300,000 square miles of land that God promised to Abraham. Of that 300,000 square miles, Bible students, do you remember how many miles they actually, at the height of the kingdom held? Anyone? 30,000. 10% of all God promised that they would have, and I submit to you, they will have it. Though today we watch it going back and forth and the world is calling for Israel to give up more territory, to give up land for peace, as if that would ever work. But let me be more specific, because if you say, well, well God promised that to Abraham, and Ishmael was a son of Abraham, so the Arabic people, they receive all that land too. It's for all of them, right? Wrong. Genesis 26, verse 3. God is now talking to Isaac. Isaac. And he says, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you, for to you and your descendants I will give all these lands. I will establish the oath which I swore to your father, Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and will give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants, Isaac, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God's honing it down, gang. For anyone who say, Isaac and Ishmael, it goes to all of them? No, now he's just going through the line of Isaac. But he gets more specific. Genesis 28, verse 12, God says to Jacob, the son of Isaac. Well, it tells us, He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, "...the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your descendants." He said to Jacob, where was Jacob at that time? In Samaria, on the West Bank. When God said, where are you lying? It's yours, Jacob. Genesis 35.12, He also said to Jacob, "...the land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give it to you, and I will give the land to your descendants after you, and I assume that means all 300,000 square miles." To all Israel, the Lord says in Isaiah 54, verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Spare not. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your pegs. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. I ran across an interesting article in Arut Sheba, which is Israel's national news source, one of many. May twenty second, two 2009. It's from a freshman M.K. M.K. in Israel is like a congressman in America. And so this M.K., his name is M.K. Katz, Yaakov Katz. And the article is entitled, Mr. Obama, Please Don't Ignore Our Democratic Choice. Let me just read this to you. Speaking from... By the way, this is not a Republican, Democratic, political thing. This is a man in Israel looking in America, talking to our president. Here's what he said. Speaking from the Knesset plenum on Tuesday, M.K. Yaakov Katz asked U.S. President Obama to remember that Israel's electorate voted against the two-state solution. That is, Palestinian state next to the Israeli state. We voted against it, he says. M.K. Katz, head of the National Union Party, received special permission from the Knesset speaker to speak for 15 minutes on an urgent motion for the agenda. His topic, U.S. President Obama's demand that Israel stop construction in Judea and Samaria. Mr. Obama knows full well, he says, that a full 47% of his country did not vote for him, Kat said. Yet, still in all, the moment that he was elected, it was his obligation to implement the agenda that he promised his people. And whether you voted for Obama or not, I'll tell you what, the man is keeping his word. He's doing everything he said he was going to do. In the whole election process. He is standing by what he said. If you voted for him, you're getting what you voted for. Okay? But this man says the same must be true for Israel. We as a nation are sovereign to act the way we want. And once we decided to vote against the two-state solution by voting for the nationalist parties by a wide majority, then the first thing Obama must do is respect our choice, the choice of the democratic country of Israel. Well spoken. Not to mention, continued the freshman M.K. and veteran Judea-Samaria settlement leader, that the areas in question have been our homeland for nearly 3,000 years. Well before Islam was founded, and even longer before the Americans ever dreamed of founding their country, the entire monotheistic world, Christianity and Islam, knows that we were granted divine rights to this land. And in fact, we just read that, didn't we? And to say otherwise goes against the Bible, the book of books, and against God. Katz is the founding member, and long-time resident of Biet El, the 10th largest Jewish town in Judea and in Samaria. And he invites Rahm Emanuel, by the way, to come and move back to Israel and live among them there on the West Bank. <laughs> Interesting. I I partially share that with you because it's fascinating to me to sit here in 2009 and read the Word of God written 3,500 years ago and hear it applied in the news this week. And the application absolutely stands. For a Jewish man like Jabez to pray for the expansion of territory by the hand of God is completely biblical. And by the way, it's completely biblical for you and me today. What do you mean? I mean to pray for the expansion, the enlarging of our territory as a church fellowship. It is absolutely the right thing to do. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that the British Christian Fellowship has been called to expand its territory in the name of the Gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes. I do. I absolutely do. Now, I loved meeting in the living room with 20 people. And I loved when we first moved out here and had 65 people meeting in the barn when it was small and we were flying under the radar. I loved all of that. But you know what God's given us? One year. We have one year based on a temporary use permit. It's actually six months and then we can re-up it for six more months and that's it. And it's not the county driving us out of here and it's not Satan and it's not all the evil hordes. Laughter That's hordes with a D. I hope that was really clear to you all. It's the Lord saying, I have work for you. Bridge fellowship. And it's not because He doesn't have work for every other church in this region, but there are thousands of people who don't know Jesus yet. What is our calling? You know our calling. We should be praying that God would enlarge our territory and expand the influence of this fellowship so long as we are following Jesus and we remain in His Word. That's our call. Do you accept it? And if you do, don't accept it in word only, accept it in deed. Do what you do to see this fellowship expand to the glory of God. pray that God will expand our territory. One more. i got to share one more quick article with you. I'm sorry. you, you got to hear this. Interesting. San Diego, California. I've I read this on World Net Daily. It's a great news source online. WorldNetDaily.com A San Diego pastor and his wife claim they were interrogated by a county official and warned they will face escalating fines if they continue to hold Bible studies in their home. The couple whose names are being withheld until a demand letter can be filed on their behalf told their attorney, a county government employee, knocked on their door on Good Friday, asking a litany of questions about their Tuesday night Bible studies, which are attended by, brace yourselves, (laughs) 15 people. Do you have a regular weekly meeting in your home, they were asked? Yes. Do you sing? Yes. Do you say amen? Yes. Yes. Do you say praise the Lord? Yes. pastor's wife answered yes to all these, and she says she was then told that she must stop holding religious assemblies in her home until she and her husband obtain a major use permit from the county, a permit that involves traffic and environmental studies, compliance with parking and sidewalk regulations, and costs the tops tens of thousands of dollars. In fact, right now, this same couple in an update uh, from this, this came out, This was Saturday. This morning I went back on and read, they are right now being fined $10,000 because they're having a home Bible study. My friends, when we first started talking about buying land, there were a handful of people who came to me and said, let's not buy land, let's just break up into home groups all over the area. And I thought, you know, I love the idea of home groups. I support home groups. We have home groups in the bridge. You've heard me say, if you want ministry to happen and intimacy and closeness with Christian brothers and sisters, you're not going to find it on a Sunday morning. Home groups are the way to do that. But gang, dividing up into homes and hiding out will offer no more protection in this current climate than meeting in this barn has offered us. And this is one of the kind of contentions we have with the county. And they were saying, you cannot have a church on private property. I said, well, wait a minute. Every time my family prays, we're having church on private property. You know, where two or three are gathered together in the name of Jesus, He's there, that's church. Amen. I have church at McDonald's sometimes. And church at Starbucks. And we have church in our home when we open the Word and we have Bible study in small group. And, and now San Diego County is saying that goes against county code. Fascinating what's happening in our free society. No place for Bible study Again, We are called to enlarge our borders. And we will follow the Lord and do what He has called us to do. Jesus said, you go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And the primary weapon, the primary issue of power that we have, gang, is love. We have the Word of God, we have His Holy Spirit, and we have love. And the Lord says, you take those and make disciples. Expand your territory. The prayer of Yabetz is biblical. The central appeal of his prayer is expansion of territory. Secondly, the central aspiration of the prayer of Yabetz, his aspiration is experiencing God. For if you look at it, dead center, in the middle of his prayer, he says that your hand might be with me. I love that line. Oh, that your hand might be with me. Isn't that the longing of the human heart? I mean, isn't that what we really want deep down? Believe it or not, I'm absolutely convinced Pascal was right. There's a God-shaped vacuum in here. And everybody wants, desires to have some connection with our Creator. To be able to reach out beyond ourselves. We know there's something, someone out there. And Yaveth prays that your hand would be with me. By the way, the phrase right hand, and he says your hand, and there's some, there's some possible implication that he's talking about the right hand of God here. That phrase to the Hebrew mind is highly significant because the right hand was the hand of blessing. It was that hand by which the, the father would, would bless his son. And in fact, in one of those cool little Bible stories back in Genesis 48, old Jacob is getting ready to bless his sons, but first his oldest or his youngest son, second youngest son, Joseph, comes to him. And Joseph has two sons of his own, Ephraim and Manasseh, and he comes before Jacob, and Jacob wants to bless them. And so in traditional Hebrew style, Joseph makes sure that Manasseh, his oldest born, is to Jacob's right, and his youngest, Ephraim, is to his left, because Jacob's going blind, he can't really see, and as he sticks out his hands, he can put them on the right child. Manasseh, the firstborn, right hand, the firstborn blessing. And Jacob goes and switches his hands. Well, his father's Joseph. He says, no, 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 no. (laughs) Uh, Dad, other, uh, you you want to get Manasseh over here. And Jacob refuses, no. I will bless Manasseh too, but I will bless Ephraim. He will receive the firstborn blessing. That's a cool story, Genesis 48, 8 through 22. But the most significant blessing, gang, that a person can receive or can aspire to is the hand of God in your life. It's the right hand of God. Psalm 16, verse 8, David said, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. He says in verse 11, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Psalm 18, 35, he says, You've also given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand upholds me. And I love this. Your gentleness makes me great. You enlarge my steps under my feet and my feet have not slipped. I love doing this with David. We go we go running across the house. And I'm holding him and his little feet are just going ding
1: ding ding ding
0: but he's moving really fast. You know, and he's just like
1: <laughs> you know.
0: And Naomi, I'll put her on my feet. Her little feet on my feet and we walk. And you dad, you've done this. You know what I'm talking about? You walk because you got your big feet under their little feet. You enlarge my steps under me. And my feet have not slipped. This is what our fathers Desires with us to hold on to our hands to walk with His feet under our feet. He does not want you to be left orphans. Jesus said. He said, "I'll come to you." Yes, yeah, see, that was a little amen you just heard of. That. <laughs> so the central aspiration of the prayer is experiencing God. Now, I have one more thing to tell you, but I got I got to throw this out. I, Someone came up to me, okay it was Spencer, but he told me not to tell you. (laughs) After first hour and he said, He said, Rick, I was looking at the prayer of your bets, and he said, and I flipped over to Matthew chapter six and I was looking at the Lord's Prayer and he said, Do you think there's a parallel? I'm just gonna leave that for you to discover. Read the prayer of your bets and then read the Lord's Prayer and look at the parallels. It's amazing. It's really amazing. So we have the aspiration of of his prayers experiencing God, and and the appeal of his prayer is the expansion of territory. Well, number three and final one, the central attribute of the man praying is expressed pain. It's pain. This brings me to the most important point of the morning, and and I pray you hear this if you hear nothing else. I would not call this section of scripture the prayer of Jabez. I would call it the problem of Jabez, or better yet, the pain of Jabez. His name in Hebrew, Jabez, means sorrow. It's from an old Hebrew root meaning to grieve. How did his mother feel about him? Pain, sorrow. She gives birth and names him her little pain in the neck, <laughs> because that's what his name means. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers and his mother named him Jabetz, saying, because I bore him with pain. Was it just the physical pain of labor? Maybe it was an excruciatingly long labor. Cheryl's first labor with Corey was really long. I was exhausted by the end of the evening. (laughs) Was it a birth defect? As she looked at her little son? You know what my brother's first words were when he saw me? I was born with a cleft lip, so no upper lip. And my brother saw me and said, "Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-oh. Yeah, I'm lying there going... (laughs) 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 What was it that caused a mother to give birth to a child and name him sorrow, pain, grieving... And what was it that caused Yabetz to conclude his prayer with these words? That you would keep me from harm, that it may not pain me. I think he prayed this because Yabetz had had enough pain in his life. Wow, well, can you say that, Rick? Because I'm in my 40s, and anybody, by the time you get to your 40s, if you say you have not had pain in your life, you're lying to yourself because you know you have, that that is one of the fundamental realities of human existence pain and it could be something as simple as the pain of stubbing your toe or the pain of losing someone you love or the pain of a struggling life that you don't know how to deal with gang please listen to me this is one of the most crucial things we've ever talked about faith is not born out in the easy days Yesterday we spent the day at the park. Oh, it was great. Just relaxing, hanging out on the swings, playing. And my faith didn't grow one iota. Faith, dependence on the Lord, are tilled in trial. And they are harvested in heartache. Faith, gain is secured in sorrow. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. That's where your faith is going to grow. And some of you this morning, even as you sit here, know you are in the midst of feeling great sorrow. And you're struggling with the Lord and asking Him, why? Why why does my life have to be this way? Well, first of all, your life is not the only life that is that way. Or has been that way or will be that way. But secondly, what I believe the Lord would say to you this morning, is I am working on your faith here. And I know it hurts right now. (laughs) You know, I promised I wasn't going to tell all kinds of stories about our about our, our new kids, but I, I have to share this. We went to the doctor last week, and they all got their immunizations. It was awful. The worst thing... Marie loves the doctor now. She does. You love the doctor. No.
1: <laughs>
0: Five immunizations, and then we got to go take a blood test. And as a parent, I'm sitting there holding them, and... Oh, and I hate that. And it hurt. And it was painful. And no doubt, they had to wonder, Dad, why would you let someone poke me like this? Because I love you. And because I want you protected against worse things. And this will help. Yeah, right. It hurts. It doesn't. you know. And that's us. We're sitting in God's lap and we're getting poked by the hurts and the pains and the anguish of life. And we're saying, God, why are you allowing this? And He's saying, Look, look, I am working with you here. I've got you. This is better in the long run. You don't understand now. You will understand then. Hank Sikenga understands. Hank was born in 1948. He died this year, this last month in 2009. And I remember two years ago when Hank first found out he got cancer. He had esophageal cancer. And it was a Thursday night after rehearsal and and we were talking about it and Hank said to me, Rick, I'm not going to die. And I said, great, then that's what we're going to pray. That's what God's given you faith for, Hank. Then we're going to pray that you're not going to die. And over the years, the, the couple of years, you know, he went through that surgery where they literally removed his esophagus, moved his stomach up here. You wouldn't have known it by talking to Hank. He's just all smiles. He just handled it magnificently. And across that period of time, just sitting back and watching, I was astounded at the growth of his faith. Les and Larry and I sat in his living room just about a week before he passed away. I expected they, gave, they had given him two to three months at that point. So we sat there and Char and I were going to Africa. And I figured when I got back, I could go see Hank again. Found out when I got home that he died while we were gone. That fast. We sat there in his living room. And you know who was encouraged that day? Les and me and Larry. Hank blew my mind. The faith. And he knew he was dying. It wasn't faith that somehow there was going to be a miraculous healing. No, faith, I'm going home. And I'm ready. And you guys need to pray for, and I encourage you, pray for Cindy. Because she's the one who has the loss right now. But I even watched her at the memorial service. Incredible faith from these two people. I remember walking out into the water of Bowman's Bay. Because as I shared at the memorial service, I still can't feel three of my toes. But baptizing Hank and Cindy... And watching the Lord at work through pain. I prayed about what to say at the memorial service. And God took me straight to Psalm 118. Remember what Hank told me two years ago? I'm not going to die, Rick. Listen to this. Psalm 118, 17. I will not die, but live. And tell of the works of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. And I would apply that to Hank. Not that he was punished. Cancer was not punishment for him, but it was severe. It was discipline, a discipline that would grow faith. And we so quickly, we run from our pain, but God says, look, I'm disciplining faith in you. You are growing stronger through this hardship, through this suffering, through this trial. You are going to be better for it if you will just hold on to me. Put your little feet on my big feet. Hold on to my hands. Trust me. And the psalm goes on. I just love this. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but He has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. And Hank entered through it. Alive. And a lot more alive now than he was a couple of weeks ago. More alive than any of us. Because he's home with Jesus. Now Hank was always a big guy. But in the last days of his life, his faith became kabod. Heavy. Weighty. He was full of the glory of God. Because his faith was so great. And James writes in James 1-2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing... Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore we do not lose heart. Oh, our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Rather than becoming angry with God, if you're hurting right now, rather than turning anger toward God, praise Him for your problems. Thank Him for your trials. Sing hallelujah when you're hurting. I know it seems weird, and I know people around you are going to think you're nuts even better. Praise God for bringing the pain in your life. Before the prayer of Jabez, there was the problem of Jabez. And that's why the words and the faith of this man are so significant. Because his prayer is not a formula for successful living. It is an example, I believe, of faith borne out in pain. God answered his prayer. It ends up saying that God granted his request. And the great thing about Yavetz is his life became a contradiction to his name. A name of sorrow, but a life that was blessed by God. Father, there are a number of people in the barn this morning who are in deep pain and who are hurting significantly. And for these brothers and sisters we all join our hearts to say, Lord, would You bring peace and comfort? Would You, Father, bring encouragement and a great growth of faith in times of trial? And Father, we all need to realize that faith in this life is not the stuff of getting things and becoming successful. It's learning how to love You. Would You, Father, teach us how to love You? And I pray, Lord, bring the resources that You have at Your hands, whether they are painful or not, bring them into our lives that our faith would grow. Our trust and our dependence on You would be the result. So that when that day comes that we go home, either by death or being called out by Jesus, that we will already speak Your language, Father, the language of faith.